Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Thank you, Michael. It's good to see everybody today. Glad that you're here. Uh, let me say on the onset how much I appreciate uh, Living Faith Fellowship. Uh, I appreciate, you know, uh, Dan talked yesterday about things that are easy sometimes, you know, in an established church. Uh, here's, here's what I know. If anything's easy, it was hard for somebody else. Somebody else paid the price for you to have it easy. And, and for the fellowship, there were some guys who paid the price for us to enjoy what we're enjoying, right? Uh, Sam and, and Alan and Jeff, some guys on the front end of that thing, uh, did a great job putting all of this together and, and, and establishing a fellowship of believers uh, that I, I continue to see uh, making a great difference uh, and working together for the glory of God and, and seeing uh, a lot of fruit uh, for the glory of God. And, and I'm grateful for that. The teaching over the last couple of days has been phenomenal, right? Uh, Troy in the evenings and uh, Brandon and Kenny in the mornings, and Dan yesterday, I, you know, last night Troy said, uh, man, with what Dan said this morning, I don't need to say anything, I kind of feel the same way, Dan just covered it all, man, he did so awesome that uh, we could just go home with that, uh, but a, a great job uh, by everyone, a lot of great teaching that has come, that ends right now, uh, <laughs> but Seriously, I, I'm really not going to teach. I, it, your notes will say I'm going to testify. I'm going to give you a testimony more than a teaching. Uh, but, but I do want to say thanks to James and to Thomas and to all the staff at Oakland Heights, Michael. and uh, I'm not going to try to get to everybody, but a great job that you guys have done. I, I, every time I come to one, I think this is the best one ever. Uh, and, and the same is true with, uh, with certainty and with uh, mission focus. Uh, so they just keep... God's just good, right? God's good to us, and he just keeps uh, improving these things and giving us an opportunity to, uh, to have an impact on the world and to do that together. Uh, I just think we, the sum of us is so much more than, than we would be without each other, right? Uh, and so it's, uh, we're blessed, and as Sam would say, we're, we're, we're rich. We've got so much to be grateful for. So I, I am grateful and glad to be a part of this, and this conference is always very important to me. I'm easily distracted uh, by the things going around. You know, I don't know about anybody else. I probably get a brochure every day, you know, of some great thing that the church ought to be doing. Uh, I hear a story of, of some church in the neighborhood who's doing something that's highly effective. You know, and I, you guys don't struggle with this, but just my struggle is I think, wow, maybe we should be doing that. Maybe we should have one of those. Uh, and, and this time of the year always reminds me, no, not really. You don't really need to be doing all that stuff. Uh, God's way is biblical discipleship, and so we just need to be discipling. And uh, so uh, I, I'm grateful. Uh, thank you, James. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. And Thomas, I don't think he's in here, but tell him I said thanks. I probably never told Thomas thanks in my life. So. 
um, when Thomas asked me about doing this, I think he actually, maybe, I don't know if it was you and I, James, or, or Thomas and I that talked about me doing this last year, and I, I, I respectfully declined. Uh, and, uh, and, and basically because in my mind, I think this is, you know, what Dan shared yesterday, when you talk about, Thomas used the word reviving, okay, I use the word rebooting because I think reviving is a little overused right now, right? So, uh, and, and I don't know, if I, if I got any other, any, any fellow Apple haters in the room, anybody else, you know, just, oh man, my people are here, uh, you know, and so, you know a couple of things when I tell you I'm an Apple hater, one, I'm old, right, you know that, uh, but you also know that I'm familiar with rebooting, right? <laughs> if you're a PC user, you know how to reboot because uh, you have to do it a lot. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I told him that uh, it was so similar when you talk about reviving or rebooting a discipleship ministry. It's, it's, it's the same concepts. It's the same principles of starting a discipleship ministry. There may be some, some unique things to it. And, and so when he talked to me about it again this year, I said, but well, how about we just share the story? How about we just tell the story of how God led me through this process? And maybe that'll be helpful to you. Uh, maybe you can glean some principles from that. Uh, so it'll be less teaching and more just uh, a testimony uh, of how God walked me through this process. I, I'm going to give you some background information uh, just because I think it will help you have context uh, to, to kind of know where I'm coming from and how it's worked out in my life. You know, I, I was raised here in North Georgia, uh, just a little north of here. And what, what our friend David Franklin, for those of you who are from Cartersville, would know David Franklin. My friend David Franklin... Uh, gave a, a name to these churches. He calls them Appalachian churches. And, uh, and, and, and with good calls, they, they do have their own little culture. It's an interesting little culture. Uh, and I grew up in one of those churches. And, and what you would know about those churches is they're very gospel-centric, but, but not very discipleship-centric. They don't do a lot of discipleship. You know, but as I thought about that, uh, I, I grew up in that church, not a lot of discipleship, uh, not a lot of, you know, there's a lot of methodology that was jacked up. Uh, but three... Three young men that I grew up with ended up in the ministry. There's a guy today in New York City who's ministering in New York City. There's a guy in Mexico who's ministering, and, and there's me. And, and there were only four of us. Three out of four ain't bad, right? I wouldn't necessarily agree with their methodology, but the, but the outcomes were pretty good. Uh, and, and that just, you know, just be reminded that God's okay. Uh, he's okay, right? Uh, I'm grateful that he uses us, uh, but he can, he can do what he needs to do and what he wants to do. And, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, I, I ended up in North Alabama in the uh, mid-80s, uh, I hate to admit that, um, to work for a NASA contractor uh, as a field engineer, and uh, a friend of mine that I worked with came to know Christ as his Savior, Rex Terry led him to Christ, and, uh, and he invited me to come to church for his baptism. And I went, and it was love at first sight uh, at Decatur Baptist Church. I, I've been there ever since. I, not always in the, in, the, in the room, but, but always connected. I've been connected to that church from that day to this. And uh, in those days, we were getting connected with this weird group of people in Kansas City at the Kansas City Baptist Temple, and they came and they taught all kinds of crazy things. Their pastor would come and some of their staff would come and, and say just outlandish things like the theme of the Bible is the kingdom. Now, I'd never read the Bible, but I was quite sure they were wrong about that. I'm pretty certain the theme of the Bible is salvation. It can't be a kingdom, right? That's just, that's just crazy talk. Uh, and, and, you know, when we think about establishing uh, discipleship, one of, the, one of the reasons, and so, you know, Dan talked about how tough it is to do in a plant, and that's true. There's, 
one's not easier than the other, but when you go in to install discipleship or, or maybe reboot discipleship in an existing church, uh, what, what we just heard from Brandon and Kenny is so important that you're, it requires repentance. It will require repentance. It will require first repentance on the part of the leaders, right? If we're not willing to say, we've done it wrong, we've failed you, uh, then, then it's never going to happen. And, and so for me in my life, uh, I grew up in church but, uh, but didn't know anything, never read the Bible, to be honest with you. Uh, and I needed to repent and I needed to change. And so we, uh, under Rex's leadership and, and Brother Doug Ripley's leadership, we installed discipleship. We had a team come from the Kansas City Baptist Temple with Del Moline and Greg Axe and some of those guys came and they led us through that process of installing discipleship. And, and really as a congregation, we ran with it. Uh, it, it really uh, impacted my life. Uh, I am a product of discipleship. Uh, without discipleship, I, I, I wouldn't be here today. There's just no way. <laughs> I was a field engineer. I worked for a uh, Fortune 500 company, and uh, I would still be, uh, I'd still be working on computers. Uh, but, but through the process of biblical discipleship, God, he showed me that he would use me. <laughs> And I couldn't get away from that. I just couldn't ex- escape it. I couldn't, I couldn't live for that. I couldn't live for lesser things anymore. All that other stuff didn't matter anymore. Because I found out that God would use me and, and there was no turning back. And so I, I walked through the same process that I'm going to share with you today. And, 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 and through the faithful leadership of my pastor, Doug Ripley, and, and my discipler, Rex Terry, who's sitting right over there, who, like Sam would be very you know, mad right now that I said his name, uh, wants no recognition. But uh, God grew me up through that process. And, and within about three years, four years, uh, I quit my job and uh, went, to, went on staff at the church uh, and, and began to serve in that local uh, New Testament church and served there for 14 years. And in, uh, in, in 2004, God began, a little before that, but God began to stir in me that I was too comfortable uh, and uh, that I, life was too easy for me. And life was too easy for me because of discipleship. Because there were just people all around me. I didn't, I didn't have to do anything. I really could just float. I could just, if I wanted to teach, I could teach. If I didn't want to teach, I didn't need to teach because there were lots of people who could teach and lots of people who were willing to teach. Uh, and, and James Dick Coker, James and Stacy were, were two of those people, right? There's, and I was thinking about this this morning. There were others, Jay, that's teaching back there right now. Jay and Allie were two of those people. Uh, Brian and Amanda, I don't know if Brian's back there, uh, and Amanda were, were part of that group. Uh, uh, Jerry uh, is back there. Jerry Vance, she and her husband, Sean, are missionaries in, in Kenya, East Africa. Sean's in Kenya right now. Uh, they were part of that group. And so all these people, and there was a, a host of others that were around me. And, uh, and so I was, I was just so comfortable, and God, God convinced me that he didn't save me to make me comfortable. And that there were a lot of places in the world that didn't have the resources that Decatur Baptist Church had. And, and so sometimes discipleship leads, you know, to, uh, it, it, it should lead to sending people out, obviously. But it might lead to, to you going and, and, uh, and leaving some folks behind. Uh, who can handle the work of the ministry. Uh, so, so I was comfortable, so God sent me here. 
Don't be offended. <laughs> he, wanted to be, he wanted me to be uncomfortable. Uh, and he achieved that goal. Um, I, so, so in coming here, uh, you know, I knew that we would need to do discipleship and that discipleship would, would be the foundational principle that we would, we would need to have and need to install in this church. And so coming here, uh, it was, that, was, that would be my second time through, right? The first time when, when I went to Decatur Baptist, we, we didn't do discipleship. Uh, and it was just getting started. And so I walked through that process as a follower. Uh, but then coming here, walking through that process as a, uh, as a leader. And, uh, and, and that's certainly a, an uncomfortable process. It's challenging. Again, to Dan's comments yesterday and how challenging it is in a new start, it's, it's, it's challenging in an existing church as well. Uh, and, and I don't think one's easier than the other. Uh, they just have their unique challenges, right? Uh, and, and so certainly it was challenging to come and to introduce a process of biblical discipleship. Uh, and, and it will make you uncomfortable. And, and what these guys have just taught in this last session was, if you are not convinced, absolutely convinced of God that it is the biblical method, uh, your question, I would question if you're going to make it. You, you, because your resolve will be tested. Uh, and, and when you come into an existing church, again, that need for repentance is, is real. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's difficult to install it. And you have to be convinced that really uh, this is the only way. Discipleship is the only way. That, that a, a foundation of biblical discipleship is, is really, it really is what ministry is. It's the only biblical way uh, to do it. And it has to be centric to everything else that we're doing. Um, and, and so I, I'm sure, uh, I can't lie, because a lot of you sitting here were here as we went through that process. Uh, so, so you know the truth that we didn't do everything correctly. Uh, I don't know that I would do it again like we did it then. Uh, but uh, at that time, we did what we, we knew to do and what we had done. I'd been a part of a lot of different teams that went out from Decatur Baptist, and we would f hear, have people say, we're interested in biblical discipleship. And so uh, we'd, we'd give them some tapes so they could listen. Yeah, cassette tapes. There are these devices that you... <laughs> we'd send them those tapes. They would listen to the process, and, and then we would send a team, a team of pas with a pastor and a a group of lay people, and they would go and, and present the, the goals of discipleship, as, as you've heard mentioned, and then the lay people would go through the lessons of discipleship, and we did that exact same thing. We did, I didn't have Decatur Baptist come because so much of Decatur Baptist had been shared here already. I, did, I wanted them to see that it's broader than just us, right? It's just not just one place. It's not some cult, uh, but uh, so uh, Pastor Mark Trotter from uh, First Baptist New Philadelphia graciously uh, came and, and presented biblical discipleship here, and uh, and, and we, we kind of what you might call launched large with, with as many people as were willing. Uh, and so we got a bunch of people together and, 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 and they heard the process and we walked them back through the lessons and, and, and tried to dis discern who was ready to disciple someone and who was ready to be discipled. And we paired people up. And again, to be honest, I don't know that I would do it that way again. I, I, to be honest, I don't know that that's the, the, the best way to do it. And, and, and ultimately, you've, you've got to let God be the one that, that leads you in that, right? Uh, and we'll talk a lot about that. that God, can, God can talk to you specifically, right, about your situation and take you through that. These are just some general principles. Uh, but uh, we got it started here. We got it going here. Uh, and then in 2019, uh, God led me back to Decatur Baptist. And again, through a, a long process, a difficult process, 
but he, he took me back there to uh, fill the place of, of my pastor, Doug Ripley, who had been there for 34 years. Uh, he was retiring, and, and, and God led me back there to, to take that lead role. Don't miss that. I walked in there in 1987, and I'll be honest with you, I was terrified to walk through the door. I'd never been in a church where there were two or three hundred people. And it literally, I'm not kidding with you, I, I, there were days I left that church just sitting in a pew from an anxiety attack, just being there. Now I'm the pastor of that church. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but God, through the process of biblical discipleship, uh, it doesn't make sense. And I know that I'm so unworthy to be in that place serve alongside the guy that discipled me? It makes no sense that God has given me this incredible privilege and he's done it through, through a process of biblical discipleship. I'm grateful for that. I will tell you that, that the most difficult decision I've ever made in my life was that decision. As honored as I am, to go back there after being here was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Harder than the decision to come here, which, which was far more impactful on my life because of the age of my children. Uh, but God, God walked me through that process, and, and he, he led me through several different passages of Scripture. And, and, I, and I say that because I want to share just a couple of those passages with you, and we'll talk about the process and, and then how we installed it how we rebooted discipleship uh, indicator. Um, one of the passages is, I think, in the notes that you have in Judges chapter 2. You know, last, yesterday Dan said uh, discipleship is necessary for uh, generational transformation. If we're going to have an impact for generations to come, it's necessary that we, we have biblical discipleship, right? Uh, we, we do know that the next generation is going to hell, right? I'm not talking about, I'm not speaking ill of millennials or, or Generation Z. That's true of every generation. That's true of your generation. Every next generation is going to hell because we're all born into this world as sinners, separated from God by our sin. And if we don't do something about it, if we, and, and that's, I, I, that's the point that I would take from what Dan said. The point is we'll, we'll never impact those generations without a process of biblical discipleship. Because we have to not only reach them with the gospel, but we have to prepare them to reach the next generation with the gospel, right? Someone has said Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And that's because God has no grandchildren, right? He has no grandchildren. He only has children. Uh, and we have to prepare the next generation to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to, to the, their, the next generation. So it has to be... Something that, that's perpetual. And so Judges was a passage that, that God used to speak to me. It's probably familiar to all of you. Uh, 
Judges chapter 2, verse 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So Joshua, who led them into the promised land, is now dead. Verse 10 says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. It's kind of the process of things, right? One generation comes, they die, and another generation comes along. But here's the problem. They knew not the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Moses... The children of Israel knew the acts. Moses knew God. But, the, but the, the generation that come after Joshua didn't know either. They didn't know God and they didn't even know the acts. They didn't even know the works that he had done. They knew nothing about it. Nothing had been conveyed to them. Nothing had passed from the existing generation to the next generation. That is very common in the American church. Would you agree? If you wouldn't agree, just go find you a statistic. You could look up just about anyone you want about churches in America. And just the raw numbers will tell you the facts, right? It is in a steady decline. Uh, It is in a nosedive. Uh, and, And the reason is, we could talk about all kinds of factors. We could try to blame it on the culture and society and 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 those millennials and how awful they must be. But it's really us. It's really us. We're the ones who have failed. We're the ones who have failed to reach the next generation and disciple them. We're the ones who have failed to to introduce them to the Lord and to talk of his works. And, And because they didn't know the Lord and they didn't know his works, they did evil, verse 11, in his sight. And they served Balaam, right? They didn't know. They didn't know God. They didn't know what he had done. They didn't know who he was. And so they, they chose a false god. They didn't know there was a true god to serve. They chose a false god. Because the preceding generation didn't tell them of the one true god. They did evil on the side of the Lord. They served Baal. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. I mean, the, it, it, it sounds like a very current thing that's happening. And I would submit that it's because of a failure of discipleship. And, and, it's, and not just, and we'll get into it in a minute, not just having a, a program of discipleship that we've installed within our church, uh, because hear me today, that, that won't make any difference, right? You might, we might feel better about it, but it won't have any lasting impact. There's no, there's no generational change that comes with that, right? It, it will not make a difference. Uh, the things that you have heard over the last couple of days are golden. Uh, it's just an incredible thing uh, that we, we have this opportunity. So God, God really dealt with me about the need to reach the next generation. Uh, to, to pass that baton to, to not only give the gospel, but to give the truths of the word of God, the things that, that we hold dear, to make sure the next generation knows those things. And, and, and not only knows them intellectually, but they've experienced them, just, just like Troy talked about last night, that you, know, you, can, you can impress someone from a distance, but you'll only impact them from up close. Right? You've got to allow them into your life. They've got to not just hear, but they've got to see. They've got to experience. They've got to walk with you. And, 
And, and, and so going into Decatur Baptist, the, the, every year, uh, the guys that are here that are on our staff, we, uh, the first line of our theme of every year since I've been there and will be for a number of years to come because we are far from achieving it, is a new generation. We'll add another tagline on to the end, but, but every theme of every year starts with a new generation. And that's not to the offense of the old generation. It, 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 and I, we try to say repeatedly, no, that's, that's to your honor. What we're saying is we, we've got to replicate what's in you in the next generation. We so desperately need you. That doesn't mean we don't need you. That, please understand, that means that we desperately need you. We desperately, what you have is what we need. Who you are is who we need to be. We've, we've got to convey what's in you to the next generation. We've got to pass it on. Dan said it yesterday. We can't assume that they got it. Repetition is the price of learning. Someone said that earlier. We've got to constantly be pouring into the next generation. We've got to be replacing ourselves. We've got to be working ourselves out of a job. You don't like where you're at? Get involved in discipleship. <laughs> Replace yourself and move on. Right? I mean, you know, it's bad motivation, but it'll work. And if you'll work yourself out of a job, sometimes, you know, I, I love what we just heard in that last session. Those leadership principles are golden. We, we try to protect our position so often in ministry. And we're scared to to pass on. We're, we're scared to let everyone know all the secrets or, or as somebody said earlier, you know, we demystifying the, the backroom meetings, you know. We're scared of that because we want everybody to think that we're something that we're not or that we might lose our position. I would submit that if you'll work yourself out of a job, you'll always have a job. Be willing to, to pass it on to the next generation. So, so when I show, show up in Decatur, I, I, I know that we need to reboot discipleship. And, and I want to be careful. Especially after the last session. I want to be careful. Uh, discipleship was happening. Certainly there are people who are faithful in that church to discipleship and we're still discipling people and it was a thing that we were doing. It just wasn't the thing, right? It wasn't the central thing. It had, it had kind of lost that prominence or, or even preeminence in the ministry. Uh, a lot of us are familiar with the, those five M's, and all kinds of people take credit for those. I don't know who, who, who owns the credit, but everything starts with a man. God, God calls a man. And, and I would say Doug Ripley was God's man that God called to lead Decatur Baptist Church and to install these things. And, and I'm forever grateful for the impact that's had on my life. And, and we'll talk in a minute about lots of other people who are sent out from that church and, and, and that impact. Rex Terry was, was certainly a critical part of that, a part of that leadership team and that, that, that installed discipleship. Uh, in that local New Testament church. And, and so it starts with a man, but, but as people begin to follow and, and hear and, and see the passion and, and, and enter into that with them, join with them in that, that, that man, it becomes a movement, right? It goes beyond him, and now it's a movement. And, and that's, 
that's really what we want. It's what we desire is to see many come and, 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 and avail themselves to this movement and become part of what God is doing. And certainly that happened in my life. But, but, but so often we, we follow that next movement into it becoming a machine. And that's a negative movement. And, and what I would submit to you today is that without continuous care, discipleship will become mechanical. It'll become a machine. It, it, it'll be done without heart. It'll be done without life. We're just going through the motions. And, and again, I don't want to be offensive, but, but I think these guys would agree with me that are part of our church, that, that at Decatur Baptist Church, discipleship had kind of gotten to the, the machine level, right? And was headed toward the monument, which is the next DM, Right? Which, which points to death. It's just, if you let it go long enough functioning as a machine, it will ultimately die. It requires continuous care. It requires continuous care. We, and we all stand in danger of allowing that to happen, right? My dad would say years ago that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You ever heard that saying? So for those of you who have a discipleship ministry that's functioning within your church, here today, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Don't, don't get to the place you need to reboot discipleship. Keep it as a movement. Don't let it become a machine. And the way that you do that, I, I would submit, is that don't let your organization outpace the movement, right? If your organization gets too far ahead of the movement, it will become mechanical. And you can't let your organization lag too far behind, right? So if it gets too far ahead, it becomes mechanical, and that that leads to death, right? You'll lose the life of it, and people will just start going through the motions. But if it lags too far behind, it will lose structure, right? And it'll be ineffective. So I would submit that leading a discipleship ministry is less of a science, and it's more of an art. But it definitely requires continual attention. And I'm terrible at that. I, just, I would just love to be able to get something going and back off and watch it work. Because <laughs> I'm lazy. Really. I mean, you just think, man, how many times i got to tell you? And, and let me say, if, if you're a lead pastor, this is not something you can just delegate and forget. You, you can delegate... <laughs> Some of the work to it, but, but you, you can't get uninvolved. It's not something that, that you can move on from. It's not like, I got that going and I gave that to that pastor, now I'm going to go do these important things. Because I'm the pastor. You can't stop discipling people. I mean, some, of, some guys may disagree with me on that. I'm, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree and say, no, you... You have to disciple. Somebody said, you teach what you know. You reproduce what you are. The same person said, if you've been leading an organization for three years and you have problems, go look in the mirror and thank the person that you see for all the problems that you have. Because you created them. So, 
We have to be involved. We have to be a part. We have to be giving it that continual care if, in order for it to be effective. So it requires attention, continuous attention, continual care, an artistic work. I, I don't think there's a science to it. Uh, maybe science is involved, but, but you've got to be continually massaging it and working it and, and, and continuously reminding people and finding new ways to say the same things. Just like Dan told us yesterday, keeping it in front of the people. So I'm going to share with you just my story. That was all just an introduction. How much time have we got? What time are we done? I don't have PowerPoint either. I know that's freaking some of you out. Shocking that we can have church without it. We could have church without those lights too, but anyway. Uh, that could actually see you beyond the second row. I'm not sure that I think everybody else left. Um, just kidding. I told you I was old. All right? It's just a joke. Um, yeah, so I, I want to just tell you how God walked me through this process. And and I'm so foolish to believe that he would lead you through the same process, right? I mean, not necessarily the same process. What I mean is he would lead you. Right? He would talk to you. Right? Aren't you glad we have a God that talks? A God that communicates? A God that knows what's going to happen today and tomorrow and next week? And he can, he can clue me in on it before it actually happens? Now, I'm not talking about you know, strange voices in your head, lest somebody misunderstands. But here it is. Right? And he'll do that not with a point and peck method, right? But you read it every day. And as you read it every day, he'll guide you through your life, step by step. And, and through your ministry. And, and, and so that's what, he, that's what he did for me. And so, you know, first I would say, uh, do it like God tells you to do it, right? I mean, let him lead you through that process. And, and, but I'm going to share with you how he led me through that process. And, uh, and hopefully you can glean some things from it. Maybe there'll be some things that'll be helpful. Again, just want to be careful and say, I understand this is an inspirational application of this passage of Scripture, right? This is not a doctrinal teaching of this passage of Scripture. This is God talking to me in my own private time with him, right? All right, so very specifically leading me. I'm not teaching you this doctrine out of First or Second Kings, uh, or you find it in the same story in Isaiah. This is just my life where I'm at before I went to Decatur, but in the process of God leading me back to Decatur, this is one of the passages of Scripture. Just like in Judges, just like in Ezra 7, he showed me. He had to tell me multiple times, right? I was like, are you sure about this? He had to tell my wife more. The first time I told my wife it was a possibility, she said exactly, I quote, that's stupid. <laughs> and my wife don't say stupid. She was cussing. But I called her out on it, so you don't have to worry about it. So 2 Kings chapter 19, I think it's in your notes. If it's not, you can turn there. Uh, 2 Kings 19 verse 28. Because of thy rage against me and thy torment has come up into mine ears. This, you know the story. It's Hezekiah and, and all that's going on with him. He says, therefore I will put a hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. And, and again, very inspirational application, okay? Very inspirational application. I understand the doctrinal application. We're not even going to talk about it. But, but as I'm reading God's word and God's talking to me and I know what's going on in my life, God said, you may not be for this, but you know what? I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bridle in your lip and I'm going to take you back the way you came. 
Verse 29. Some of you are thinking, this guy has lost it. And this shall be a sign unto thee. You shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves, and in the second year that which springeth of the same. And in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruits thereof. And the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they shall escape out of Mount Zion, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall, shall do this. And so, so what God said was, I'm going to take you back where you came from, and, and, and then when you get there, I'm going to, it, there's going to be a process that you need to walk through. And, it, and this process is going to take a few years. Uh, and, but, but the process I want to take you through is I, I want you to take root downward so you can bear fruit upward so that you can go forth. Right? It's, it's just God walking me through the, the necessity. And so he, the, the first thing that he says is, is to take root downward. Right? And, and, and notice it's a holistic process. Right? God didn't say just... Yeah, you know, I'd love to see this program get going. You know, I'd love, to, I'd love for you to add the program of biblical discipleship to what's going on at Decatur Baptist Church. Uh, no, it was a holistic program that, that would, we're going we're gonna to get our roots deep so that we can bear fruit to the glory of God so that we can send people out to reach the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what church is about. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> yeah. And we, we so easily miss that, right? So, let me just say, I think it's obvious, but it's going to take some time. And, and Dan said it yesterday. It, it takes time. Uh, it takes time to, to go into a new place and, and, and to take people who've never heard these things and to move them down that continuum, Right? To people who are, who, who are just coming to know the Lord as their Savior, it takes some time to, to achieve that. It will not happen quickly. I would submit to you, if you're going into an existing church, it takes more time. If it's not a church that's familiar with the process of biblical discipleship, if it's a, if it's a long-standing existing church that's been there for a minute, and they have these foreign concepts of what church is about, and the Bible's never been the authority. The authority's, the authority's always been the, the pastor or, or the God help us, uh, special deacon or, or, or leader in the church or, or family member. They've been the authority. It's going to take a minute because you're trying to change a culture. And it takes a long time to change a culture. I, I was privileged to be going back to Decatur Baptist Church where I... I had some influence because of my years there. And they had a great foundation. And so it didn't take as long. So two years is a pretty brief amount of time for us to focus on taking root downward. So it could take longer in your context. I, I would submit that in most places it will take longer. This is how God specifically spoke to me. It's going to take a significant amount of time, and you can't rush the process. Anybody else have people call you and talk about rabbit churches and elephant churches? Anybody, anybody have those talks, those conversations? We don't want to be elephant churches. We want to be rabbit churches. How about just being biblical churches? There's a thought. It's, it's crazy talk. We're going to short cycle this thing. What they're saying is you can, 
more rapidly reproduce, right? You should reproduce more rapidly. It takes elephants a while, rabbits reproduce more rapidly. We're going to short cycle this thing. You ever heard that? Yeah, you're going to short circuit this thing. That's what you're going to do. So for us, I felt like it was very important in the beginning that we needed to not just, again, install discipleship, but we needed to solidify a process so that, so that discipleship was centric to everything that we were doing. That the discipleship really is everything that we do. Everything we do is discipleship. It's not a part of what we do. It's everything we do. It's all that we do. It's all discipleship. Uh, and so we needed to solidify that. And so there's a little diagram in your, in your notes that, that we use. We call it you know, affectionately because we're Baptists and we're addicted to alliteration, even if it doesn't help clarify any points. Uh, hi, my name's Joe. I'm addicted to alliteration. Um, so it's five E's. Uh, and, and, and so to, to understand that little diagram, I'm convinced that God does everything he does for his glory. Right? Last year, reading through the Bible, try to mark certain things every year. One of those things I wanted to mark last year was every time God talks about what he does what he does for his glory. Here's the conclusion I came to. God does everything he does for his glory. And, and that's the exalt thing, right? We live for the glory of God, and so it's important that we understand that and that we recognize that. And, and that may seem a little nebulous. That's a little... You know, okay, how much glory, how much glory to God are you bringing? And we feel like that's a little hard to quantify, to measure. I don't know, I don't know, I'm glorifying God with my life, I'm not sure. Well, fortunately, Jesus helped us, right? John 15. Herein is my Father glorified. How? That you bear much fruit. Right, so if we're going to talk about and, and, and train our church and, and bring up our church to, to be who God wants them to be, and, and that would be that they would glorify God. If God does everything he does for his glory, it makes sense that we would do everything we do for his glory, right? So, so as a pastor, I'm getting ahead of myself, but as a pastor, it's my responsibility that the people who attend and are members of Decatur Baptist Church glorify God with their lives. Right? It's my responsibility. At a minimum, to provide for them a, a method, a way, a process by which they can do that. I mean, it's one thing to stand and say it. It's, it's quite another to, to provide a process by which they can actually achieve it. I mean, it's all theory until we actually do it, right? Well, so they need to bear much fruit. And so the, the other four E's in my mind are, are the way that they do that, right? So evangelize, right? It requires, if you're going to glorify God with your life, you've got to know Christ as your Savior, right? Uh, and, and then encouragement is, is the piece that we talk about. We encourage people. We evangelize with the gospel. We encourage people through relationships. God doesn't intend for us to do life alone. And the first thing he said about man is it's not good that man should be alone. 
Our biggest problem is sin, but our first problem was being alone. God doesn't intend for us to do this alone. We do it together in community, and so we need relationships. So when somebody comes to Christ, if they're going to learn to glorify God with their life, they need community, they need relationships, so we encourage through relationships. We edify through discipleship, so they need to grow up in their faith and be built up as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we want to equip them with training so that then they can go lead people to Christ, so that they can encourage people in their faith, so that they can disciple people, so that they can train people, so that they can go lead people to Christ, so they can encourage people, so that they can disciple people, so that they can train people. You kind of get where I'm going. Because you'll never bear much fruit until your fruit bears fruit. You can't, bear, you can't bear much fruit on your own. The only way you can bear much fruit is by reproducing yourself in someone else well enough that they can go reproduce themselves in someone well enough that they can reproduce themselves in someone. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, right? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. And so we, we had to establish that from the beginning because discipleship had to be not something that we do, it had to be something that we are. This is not just something that we do, it's a, it's a holistic process. It, be convinced that this is God's plan, this is not my plan. Because I'll promise you, you go into a step to, to install it in an established church, you're going to get uncomfortable. It's going to take a long time. You're going to feel like a failure. Over and over and over again. And like Kenny said, you're going to be tempted, or Brandon, I don't know which one of you said it, but you're going to be tempted to blame the people. You're going to be tempted to say it's their fault. And it's not. It's our fault. So we had to, we had to get the process down. And, and then we needed to fortify discipleship. So solidify the process and then fortify the discipleship. So the, the way that I did that, and I'm just going to tell you how I walked through that process, was the first thing was you gotta, you got to take the Word of God and, and before the people of God, You've got to recast the vision. We've got to take the word of God and, 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 and you know, I call it prime time, right? Uh, Sunday morning when everybody showed up <laughs> and, and, and preach from the pulpit the word of God and show the people uh, that, that this is a biblical process. As I mentioned just a moment, turn, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Seriously, what time are we supposed to be done? 11.45. Colossians chapter 1, real quick. Verse 21, we'll start there. I was going to go down to verse, but this, this, is, this is one sentence. Don't you love Paul? <laughs> we're going to read eight verses. It's one sentence. But, but check it out. But, and and here's, here's my point. If you're a pastor... You're responsible for those people, right? I believe God's going to hold me accountable for the membership of Decatur Baptist Church. 
Verse 21. And you that were some, sometime alienated the enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath he, he reconciled, Christ has reconciled us, in the body of his flesh through death. Look, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What's God's goal? What's God's intention for those people who sit in the pews at Decatur Baptist Church? We don't have pews. We've got chairs. Those people who sit in the chairs at Decatur Baptist Church. What's his intention? What, what, what did Christ die for? That they would be presented holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And I understand positionally that I'm in Christ and, and that's going to be true. But notice verse 23, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. All right, we've got to ground them and settle them that they move not, move not away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which uh, was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. <laughs> when you go to ground and settle them, there's going to be some suffering going on for them, right? And fill up that which is behind in the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Again, if God's called you to lead the church, he's called you to suffer for the church. There's going to be some pain in the process. Verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of, uh, riches of the glory of his, uh, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. As a pastor, my responsibility is to present every member of Decatur Baptist Church perfect at the judgment seat of Christ. Is, Randy and I agree. Is that right? I mean, is that, is that how you read that? Paul's, Paul's goal was to warn every man and teach every man for the purpose of presenting every man perfect. Verse 29, where until I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So Paul says, I'm laboring, and I know it's God working in me, and God working through me, but, but I'm doing, I've got this work I've got to do. And the end game is to present every man perfect. Now, now, how do you do that? How could I possibly? Nobody's perfect. I've heard it said a million times. Well, yeah, but not in the Bible. <laughs> it's what we're called to. So how do I do that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 1. And that's the series that I taught. And, and if you wanted to hear great teaching on that, uh, find Mark Trotter's teaching on 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm sure it's available out there somewhere. Is Justin in here? No. You can find it. It's there somewhere. But, but basically, notice what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says there's this guarantee that, that we will know Christ, right? If, if these things be in you, we'll talk about the things in just a second. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, right? Ephesians, Paul said he's the stature of the perfect man, right? And God's intention is that we would get there, that we would get to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, the perfect man. 
That's what he's looking for. And so how do I do that? Well, these things, again, we'll talk about in a minute. Verse 10 says that he guarantees we'll never fall. And again, that's not just me. That's for the people I pastor. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if, these, if you do these things, you shall never fall. It's just the, 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 the opportunity to, to live in such a way that I would never fall. Verse 11, guaranteed that we would have an abundant entrance into his everlasting kingdom. And, and that's what we're talking about, right? Getting people to the judgment seat of Christ ready. Not naked and ashamed, but clothed in the righteousness of the saints, having lived their lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Troy said last night, not laid up treasures on the earth, but they've laid up treasures in heaven. They lived their lives on purpose. That's our responsibility. And I would submit to you today that the only way to achieve that is, is what Peter submitted. The only way to do that, the way to guarantee that, the way to ensure that is to make sure that these things are installed into their life. And those things, he lists them in, in verses 5 to 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, we're, I think we're all familiar with this, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Add these things. Give all diligence to add these things. That's biblical discipleship. Right? I mean, back in the day, we would read Carl Wilson's book with Christ in the School of Disciple Making, and he'd walk us through the Gospels and show us seven things, seven stages of discipleship, and, and that was wonderful. We, Peter did a much better job than Carl Wilson. <laughs> to me, it's much clearer in Peter's edition. And so we... We have to add to our faith. And, and, and I just walked our church through this. And, and again, Pastor Trotter is the one I, I, I learned all that from. He, he walks us through. Add to your faith, right? In most churches, we're done with faith. They're saved. Give them some tithing envelopes. Pat them on the back and say, see you next week. Make sure you get the tithing envelope part in. They're going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ, naked and ashamed. And I'm going to be responsible. If I haven't led them through a process of biblical discipleship, that's on me. Be not many masters. Be careful. Desiring the office of a bishop. Better take that serious. So he says, add to your faith. So respond to what God has allowed you to know. In faith, believe, right? And once you've believed, add to that faith virtue. I mean, and if anybody goes any further beyond faith today, what we typically want to do is add knowledge to faith, right? We would say, add to your faith knowledge. Let's get their heads full of knowledge. And again, back in the day, uh, I would say back when I was discipled and some of the things we came through back there, we, we would have been right in that, that camp. I mean, we knew that repentance was the first step, but we kind of added that into salvation and we went on to knowledge. And we filled a bunch of people with heads full of knowledge and they became the meanest people I've ever known. Mean, mean, arrogant, proud people. 
Shocking, Paul said. Knowledge puffs up. Who would have thunk it? It does. So add to your faith. And we, this is discipleship, right? Add to your faith virtue. Do what you know to do. I, I, I would define virtue as a voluntary obedience to truth. Virtue is this book now is my authority. Hey, you ought to get baptized. Why? Well, the Bible says so. Oh. Okay. If the answer is anything other than, oh, okay. Well, then virtue hasn't been established. Here's one that might hurt a little more. Hey, you ought to tithe. Why? The Bible says so. If the answer is anything other than okay, yes. I mean, you got to show them, right? Don't just, don't just be throwing stuff out there that you can't prove. But if I can open this book, and, then, and in the right context, and I can to show you that tithing is New Testament doctrine. It might be a little sketchy for some of you, but... I can. If the answer is anything other than yes, well, virtue hasn't been established. That's why giving in our set of lessons, we kind of rearranged them a little bit. We moved giving up to the front. You're just greedy for money. Think what you want to. I just believe this book. And giving something that requires no special talents or abilities. Right? Does, it, does it take some special talent or ability to obey God to tithe? No, it's just choosing to be, it's just choosing to worship God. Yeah, put him first. Give him that place of preeminence in your life. So then you add to virtue knowledge, but you don't add you don't add knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? You add knowledge for virtue's sake. It's not so that my head's more full of knowledge and I'm more arrogant and a bigger jerk than I ever was. It's so that I can become more like Christ. Right? This, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Am I right? If it's just knowledge that I'm adding, then, then, then there's no transformation. But if virtue's been established first, you see, it won't work any other way than the way God put it. And I don't care what the commentators say. There's no particular order in 2 Corinthians chapter... Why? Or 2 Peter chapter 1. No particular order. You'd have to be a theologian to think that. Add to your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge temperance. I think it's pretty clear. But again, don't, don't be afraid to state the obvious, right? Paul, uh, Paul said I, in, in, in Philippians, he told him, I'm, I'm not afraid to write the same things into you. You guys that are pastors, don't you love it when some guy comes to your church, he preaches something, and people walk out and go, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I heard it when I said it to you, jerk. <laughs> so there's, so he, he walks you down that continuum, but, but for, the, for the purposes of what we're talking about today, let me stop there. So add to your faith virtue and to knowledge and to temperance. I walked him through all seven of those, but just from the pulpit, we're going to take the time, prime time, and we're going to talk about the value of discipleship. And, and, and this is just the process that we walked through. And, and Sam and the guys at Midtown were an incredible help with, with, with 
the things that we've learned from them with cost of discipleship. So, so in that summer of 2019, right after I got there, we took everybody who was willing back through cost of discipleship. So we're all going to gather, and we did this on Sunday nights, but we're all going to gather, everybody who's willing, and we're going to walk through the cost of discipleship. Uh, and, and make sure that there's, again, Dan said it yesterday, not assuming that they knew anything. Not assuming that they, that they were, were believers who would understand that it's going to cost them everything. That's, that's the end of the cost of discipleship, right? <laughs> that's the end of that class. Cut to the chase, right? Spoiler alert, it's going to cost you everything. Seven things Jesus said that would be required if you would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We had about 400 people show up on Sunday nights to walk through that process. Uh, I don't know if it's good or not. <laughs> it's kind of scary. You kind of think, oh man, I done messed up. I did not talk enough of these people out of this. Is that material on LF Fellowship? Do you guys know? The cost of discipleship? It's not. They might share it with you. I don't know. I'm not going to offer it. But it, it's material that came out of Midtown. Great stuff. What were the numbers, Sam? Kenny, you would know maybe. The... Uh, before cost of discipleship failure rate? So, so failure rate before cost of discipleship. That's just people who start discipleship and, and blow out about 90% at times. 70 to 90% after cost of discipleship. or so. Significant improvement. And and I would say, just from my experience, it's not just that you taught the class, right? It's not because there's nothing magical when people sit through a class. It's it's making sure that the disciplers hold the people accountable to what they agreed to in the class, right? And reminding them of those things and making sure everybody understands. But we we walked everybody through cost of discipleship. uh, and, 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 And I would say we required them. So if you're going to, be, if you're going to participate in, in discipleship going forward, you, you must go through this class. You must walk through this with us. If you're going to be in leadership at Decatur Baptist Church, you must go through this process. One-on-one, life-on-life discipleship was a prerequisite. And, and now we repeat that pretty much, Larry, on a monthly basis, Right? So just walking all the new people through it too. And again, this, I was dealing with a unique situation, but what we did coming out of that was we paired people up. We put people together. So the people who went through the cost of discipleship class, we prayerfully, and it was everybody, right? So you're not, no, uh, you, pastor, you don't understand who I am. I don't care who you are. And, and listen to me. I don't want to be a jerk. I can't help it, but I am. I don't want to be. The people who are unwilling, you don't want those people discipling other people. I don't want to reproduce that. Why would I want to reproduce that? So we pair people up prayerfully considering, hey, this person can lead this person and they can get together, but, but everybody's going to walk back through this process. 
everybody, staff, deacons, small group leaders, everybody is going to walk back to the, not the whole of the membership, but if you're going to be involved in membership, you're going to be involved in leadership, you're going to be a teacher or a discipler, you're going to handle the word of God, you, you've got to go through this process or, or that's not going to happen anymore. It, it helped us that we were installing the new Living Faith Fellowship lessons. So, I, you know, it, it helped. It gave me somewhat of an excuse to say, none of you have ever done this before. You've never been through this set of lessons. They're exactly the same as the lessons we did before, but not exactly the same. I, I, that's offensive to those guys of you who spend a lot of time working on those. It's not exactly the same. They're, they're vastly improved. The doctrines were the same. But, but the material's much better. Did I save myself on that? I don't think I did. Yeah, move on. Thank you, Larry. For us, that reboot was necessary. That everybody start from the same place and go forward. To draw a line in the sand. And, and listen, that was, again, I would acknowledge that was easier for me because I was walking into a new church. I was walking in a new position. And if you're in an existing work and you're going to try to do that, you, you've got to, you, I think you've got a taller mountain to climb. You've got a little tougher job ahead of you. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how tough it is. I've got to get them ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Does anything else matter? So, so we walked everybody back through it. We, we called it a discipleship refresh. Uh, everyone that goes back through life on life, you need to refresh it, renew it, revive it, reboot it, whatever. We still have people today. There's people right now, am I right, Larry? There's, there's people right now who were from the church back in the day who at that time said, I'm not doing that who right now today are going back through. They came through COD, and they're going through refresh, and it's not like, you know, there's, at some point we, we, we let that go. No, everybody, everybody moving forward, that's the process you're going to walk back through it if you're going to do it. And again, we, we, we adjusted our goals a little bit. Uh, we, we do it a little differently. We based it on that second Peter chapter 1, and so we've got three goals, not four. Don't hold it against me. I can still go to heaven. But, but we use virtue, knowledge, and temperance. We are Baptists and addicted to alliteration, so we say worship, word, and work. So we want to establish them in the worship of God first. Virtue, voluntary obedience to truth. You are God, I am not. I'll worship you, I'll bow before you, and whatever you say, I will do. Only because you said it. And then I want to increase their knowledge of what he said so that they can do more, become more like Christ, and then ultimately establish them in the work of God. So that's the disciples' goal, their responsibility. We rearranged the lessons so that the first six lessons, as best as we could relate them, said these are about virtue. And the next six lessons, these are about knowledge. And in the next three lessons, these are about temperance. It's an inconvenient truth that it turns out to be 666, but don't let that bother you. Larry wasn't so lazy, he'd write a lesson, another lesson. We'd have 777, and it'd be perfect. 
the thing that we knew was important was, especially on a reboot, at the end of those first six lessons, we've got to stop and take an account. And, and do you understand what your goals are? And can you articulate that those goals are being accomplished? So we have a form that we use. I'm not sure if this is something that it's broader than us, I'm sure. That there's a form, a follow-up form that just says, hey, is this goal being established? And here's some questions that might help you determine if that goal is being established. Now, with this first set of people, what we said was you need to have a meeting with a pastor. So not only do you need to fill out a form, you need to sit down and talk to a pastor, the discipler. You need to sit down and talk to a pastor at the end of that. And that, we haven't continued that Larry monitors that as our discipleship pastor. But, but that first group of people, and you can imagine, that was, that was almost a full-time job. You think about that many pairings, that many people going through this thing. But, but it is important to, to check up and to make sure that, that those things are being established, that we aren't just walking through a process. And, and before we would release the next six set, of les- six set of lessons, we need to be assured that that goal's been accomplished. And then after the second set of six, Another form, another meeting. Third set, another form, another meeting. We, we not only rebooted uh, the first phase of discipleship in our church, we rebooted the second phase, discipleship too. We basically said to everybody, you've been through it, you need to do it again. It won't hurt you. Repetition's the price of learning. I never really comprehended it until I taught it. So... So everybody went back through uh, Discipleship 2. And, and again, if you continue down those seven things to add to your faith, it just lines out with Discipleship 2, right? I mean, you pick up right where you left off with establishing them in the work of God, temperance, and then it goes on to the will of God and the way of God, and you walk down that whole continuum. So we rebooted that and required everyone to go back through that. And, and then we added to it, and again, most of you guys are familiar with this, and, and I'm sure we stole it from somebody. Uh, we only steal from the best. Um, ministry tools and training and that what we try to do is just it's a Sunday night thing it is a classroom setting where we try to uh, apply those things that you learn in discipleship too so we teach those transitional books Matthew, Acts, Hebrews, Genesis chapter 1 through 11 and then we have leadership tools and training where we do some classes at our church but also we have folks that are signed up in LFBI and, and, and developing leaders uh, here's the thing all of this is to take root downward right I'm sorry I know very heavy on point one I told Thomas the second two points are just kind of there for looks. Uh, I knew we would be heavy here. Colossians chapter 2 says this, and if you're still in Colossians, turn the page. And ye have have therefore, I can't talk, received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in your faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's a process, right? You You got to get rooted so that you can be built up, so that you can be established, so that you can abound. Uh, that's the process we want to see people go through, right? That's a process of biblical discipleship. Uh, Luke chapter 13, where Jesus curses the fig tree, right? He, he comes in the first year, there's no fruit. It's all good. No fruit in year one, it's all good, right? Came the second year, no fruit. It's all good, right? Comes the third year, no fruit. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? What he said was it's had time. 
to get roots deep, right? To be established, right? To be established as a tree, to, to be built up so that it could abound in fruit. If we want people to bear fruit, you know, Troy talked last night about a garden. I, I grew up on a farm and we had an orchard. And, and, and I saw that play out year after year. You plant a tree, you plant an apple tree, you didn't expect any fruit the first year. The tree couldn't handle it. If an apple were on that tree, it'd fall over. Really didn't expect any the second year, but the third year you started expecting to see some fruit. And that's not saying you can't lead somebody to Christ the day after you get saved. That's not what I'm saying. But you're not going to abound in fruit until you grow up. They're not going to abound in fruit until they grow up, right? And so... I have two minutes left for my last two points. That's one minute per point. Here we go. But just notice. Why do you take root downward? And listen, if you, if you don't think this is a problem, I, I would submit that it is. It is for us. We see a lot of people get discipled, but they never lead anybody to Christ. <laughs> they show back up at our doorstep saying, give me somebody to disciple. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. You've, you've misunderstood. You take root downward... Right, so that you can bear fruit. Right? It, it, we miss it if we don't continue to that, right? If we don't take the next step. And that's what he said in Second in, in Kings to me. The first two years, we're not really going to be out there beating the, the bushes. If people come to Christ, I mean, he talks about, hey, there's going to be what we would call back on the farm some volunteers, right? You would, we didn't plan anything. It just volunteered and came up. And man, if there's some fruit on it, we're going to take it. But we're not going to be planting it because we're working on getting the roots deep here. But then after that, we need to go and we need to sow and we need to root, uh, we need to sow and, and we need to reap and we need to plant vineyards. We need to sow the seed. That if you go to Second First Corinthians, I don't have time to go to all that. But but when Paul talks about it, I, I think it was last night Troy referenced it. Who's the sower? That's us. Who's the waterer? That's us. Who gives the increase? That's God. Pressure's off. I can't save anybody. Just go share the gospel. Just go speak the gospel. And we, in order to, to, to do that, we've tried a few things. We, we, we took our pastors and aligned our pastors with those five E's. Instead of being people groups, we do still have some people group stuff going on, but each pastor is responsible for one of those E's, Right? So a pastor of evangelism, a pastor of encouragement, a pastor of edification, a pastor of equipping, a pastor of exalt. So that we can say, these things matter. We, we need to be doing these things. So we have a pastor of evangelism and trying to get our people out to, to reach people with the gospel so that we can sow and we can reap. And, and planting vineyards is planting churches. And I don't have time to establish all that. I think you know that. And then the last thing. See how quick I did that point? He, he said, go forth. For out of Zion shall go forth a remnant. Ultimately, the goal is to send people out. We've got to reach the world with the gospel. That, we take root downward so that we can bear fruit upward. So that people, once they've, once they've learned it at home, they can go out and do it elsewhere. Our church has been privileged since Jeff went out. Jeff Bartell, some of you know Jeff, went out in 1992 to the country of Albania. I would argue with you that that's a model missionary work. Give me a sign, you know, prove me wrong. Since then, we've had 22 families go out of our church with varying degrees of success. I mean, Randy's one of them. 
James is one of them. Uh, Jay is back there. He's one of them. Uh, Sean and Jerry, Brian and Amanda. Some are with the Lord. Some are back home. But here's the thing. If it's 22 or 2200, if we're still breathing, that's still the mission. We can't rest on our laurels. There's a work to be done. And it starts with, with us being committed to the, the ministry of biblical discipleship. So, so if, it's a, if it's a Dan having to go into a place and a new church and figure it out and find a building and get a meeting place and, and work it out and make it happen, you pay the price, right? Dan's been exemplary in that. Go look at what he's done. Good night. God's been so incredibly powerful in that ministry. Or if it means coming and taking over an existing work and in the midst of that, installing discipleship and, and slugging it out and dealing with it and going through the pain and the process, it's worth it. If it means going into a new church and, and, and either installing it or rebooting it, it's worth it. Because ultimately, it's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. It's not about, it's not about nickels and noses. It's not about the size of my church. It's not about the size of my offerings or the 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 size of my buildings. I told Dan yesterday, we got 135,000 square feet of buildings. God help us. Arbitrage around your neck. I'll ne- God, please don't make me. I'll never build another building. It's not about any of those things. It's about the glory of God. So it's worth it, right? It's worth it. Whatever it costs, it's worth it. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to to be a part of the ministry that you've called us to, that we could be on a co-mission with you. We don't take that lightly. We're grateful. And uh, we pray that you would make us a people who would be serious about it, willing to suffer, willing to hurt, willing to die, that there'd be no place too, too dangerous, no place too distant, no place too difficult for us to work for your glory. Pray in Christ's name. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.